Hello, everybody. Welcome inside another episode of the Tall Can Audio Podcast. Coming to you from our studio, as always, in beautiful Bytown, Canada. My name is Matt Robinson. Welcome inside episode 1053 of Tall Can Audio. Make sure you're following us on social media at Tall Can Audio. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you're hearing us right now. Great guest for you today, our buddy Sean Fitzgerald from The Athletic is going to be here. Sean covers the uh, sports media scene in Canada for The Athletic, and as you guys all know, uh, that's a scene I'm quite interested in. I'm a bit of a nerd for as much as I am for the world of sports. Sometimes I'm as interested in the uh, the world of sports media, the people who cover it, how all that goes down, and uh, lots of great stuff that Sean has put together here over the last couple of weeks that I wanted to touch on with him. So let's not waste any time. We'll bring him in right now. Senior national writer for The Athletic, Sean Fitzgerald. How's it going today, my friend? Thank you so much for making the time for us. I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Look, there's a, a few different places we could start, but uh, you had an interesting piece in uh, in The Athletic back in December, and it was, uh, The Athletic currently is counting down the, well, top 99 uh, players in modern NHL history, since we all know who number one is. Uh, but you got uh, the assignment of of writing about Scott Stevens, and I'm not sure if I can think of anyone who time has been less kind to when we look back on on the history of hockey. Um, at the time that he was playing, known as a very honorable player, the way he went about his business, a punishing player, a physical player, but when we look back at his career through the eyes of 2023, man, it, it, there's a lot of things there that that, you know, kind of, come at you in a different light, knowing what we know now about concussions and, and CTE and these sorts of things. What was it like trying to, to write about that guy's career from this far into the future? Yeah. I mean, kudos to you for getting the 2023 part. I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> God, wait a second. A uh, little sticky yeah, note no. here in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good call. I need to get that. Uh, yeah, like I mean, you know, in the context of the era, and that's in the piece too, right? Like the, the piece does have, you know, former opponents, uh, you know, Dave Poulin, um, um, former teammates, Bernie Nichols, um, as well as, you know, a couple of folks that he got, you know, um, including, you know, Bob Basson is, is one of them. Um, and, and they said, like, that's the way we played the game back then. And you can go online and, you know, on YouTube, uh, there's an old sponsored bit um, uh, by Black & Decker that would appear. And it was appeared weekly on television, and it was called the Black & Decker Drill of the Week. <laughs> and the Black & Decker Drill of the Week was just as it sounds. It was one player absolutely demolishing another player. And and Scott Stevens was featured in that, right? Like, that's that was the rule of the game. It was, you know, a bit like smoking in bars. It's, you know, it was just, just the way it was done. It was totally acceptable. Nobody thought really anything of it until people started really examining it. And yeah, like, you know, the rules have changed. The, the NHL very slowly did move to amend the way it treats head contact, um, you know, defenseless, uh, you know, where you can hit players. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the idea was to, to take a look at his game, his Hall of Fame game, his multiple Stanley Cup game through the lens of the modern NHL and, and modern hockey and and sort of take a look at, you know, the way that hockey has evolved and the way that the way that the game's taught to younger players has also evolved. Where it's it is. I mean it's it's still contact. I mean on the four check along the boards. Um, but that open ice 
um, at open ice hit, um, although we've seen several uh, recently this season, is, is generally being phased out of the game just because of the tactics. And, and frankly, you know, there's the safety component, but there's also the tactical component that the game moves so fast now that, you know, there's a lot of youth coaches who say that, you know, if, if you go and you miss or even if you connect, you take yourself out of the play. Right. You mentioned here that, uh, you know, talking to people like Bob Basson and, and in your piece, you also had an interview there with uh, or quotes from Shane Willis, who was a, mm-hmm. a, a rookie who whose career you could certainly argue was shortened by um, the concussions that, that he lined up or, or racked up early in his career. Were you surprised that none of those guys had a negative word to say about Scott Stevens? Like, wouldn't it be almost natural even in the context of the way the game was played back then to walk around with some bitterness. It, it was interesting to me that, that nobody took a, took a shot at him while they were talking to you. Well, Paul Correa, with whom I didn't speak, has spoken in the past. Yes. And I think it was a Sportsnet or TSN interview um, around the time. I think it was his Hall of Fame induction. Um, he did say that, in his opinion, he thought that, I mean, you only have to say that last name. And you, if you're a hockey fan, you can probably conjure the collision that we're talking about here. But um, he did say that, in his opinion, he thought, you know, the Scott Stevens hit was late. Right. Um, I think he went on to say even something a little bit more descriptive than that. But um, yeah, I, Bob Asson said, yeah, that's the way the game was played. You were taught that if your head wasn't up, you're going to get hurt. And basically, if you got hurt, you kind of deserved it for not playing with your head up. And, you know, said that he kind of played that way, too. Um, and yeah, Dave Poulin said that's that's the way the game was played. Um, but yeah, like the game changes, right? Things sure. evolve, opinions evolve, understanding of what the risk is is involved. And, you know, I I don't think that the majority of hockey fans in 2023 would be comfortable watching a sport knowing that that kind of damage would be routinely accepted as part of playing the game. That how could you cheer for, you know, your favorite player knowing that part of the game as enshrined in the rules means that they could have severe cognitive impairments as a risk when they retire. Still a battle that we're fighting every Sunday with the NFL here that, uh, you know, the love of the game, but also, you get more and more uncomfortable each week, it seems, the more we learn. But uh, I wanted to move on to a piece you wrote in that week between Christmas and New Year's. I would encourage people, if they were vegged out on the couch uh, or, or kind of detached from the world, disconnected, how to go back and, uh, and check it out. We'll put a link in the show notes. And you took a look ahead at five of the biggest stories in sports media in Canada in 2023. And there was a couple things in there that I, that I thought were really interesting. Let's start with what I have in my own life decided is the most irritating of the group, and that would be the sports betting content that is currently <laughs> flooding our television. And I never thought I'd be that guy. I, 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 have, I don't bet much, maybe once or twice a year on a big fight or something like that. But beyond that, I, I have no moral objection. I, you know, if you want to bet, have at it. I was not prepared for the flood when it was legalized here in Ontario of of commercials, of actual in-game content. They have done the impossible and made the most likable Canadian sports media personality, Cabby, annoying to me when I now see him on the, the television. <laughs> what do you think of of where this is going? Is this going to be something that continues to uh, become more and more prevalent? Are they just kind of blindly feeling their way through what people will tolerate and what they won't, and, and we'll get to a place where there's less of it, but it's better presented. Like, what? Do, where is this going? 
So, yeah, and with the folks that I've spoken with who are in the industry, um, industry analysts, mostly based in the United States, is that they describe you know, this, this sort of rollout in multiple phases. So the first is almost absolutely a gold rush that companies are flooding the market because they want you to download their app. And one of the reasons for that is that, you know, they've found that, you know, once, you know, Matt signs up for, you know, betwhatever.com, it can become more costly for, you know, competing apps to get Matt's business because, I mean, we all have, you know, 30,000 passwords and 40,000 different accounts. And we know how much of a pain in the butt it can be to sign up for one of those things, especially if, you know, there's a level of comfort or understanding and, you know, with the platform, right? So you sign up for betwhatever.com, you know, betsomething.com is going to have to pay a little bit more to try and get you away, right? And in Ontario and in Canada right now, you can't advertise legally inducement. So you can't say, we're going to give Matt $500 of free betting if he comes and joins our app. You just can't do that under the rules right now. Um, so what we're seeing, what we've seen is this gold rush where you know all of these betting companies are flooding your television, your radio, I mean, local billboards, God knows, mailers to your mailbox. I have no idea. It seems like it's everywhere. Yes. Um, because they want you, even if you're a casual, especially if you're a casual, um, and especially if you're new to sports betting, they want you to sign up for their app first because it costs them less to get you first than it would be to rescue away from somebody else. So that's part of it. Um, and the other one is, yeah, like it's, it's a brand new field. So you put those things together. Um, and this is what you have. You have this onslaught. Now, a lot of those same analysts say that, you know, as we go along here, as, you know, maybe maybe there might be an imperfect parallel here to the, the cannabis industry. Remember when it yeah. when it was first, you know, legalized and rolled out that, you know, it was it was again a gold rush, everybody's gonna get rich. Um, but eventually it generally seemed to settle down to, you know, a few dominant players, right? So I think the feeling is that, you know, as the main players establish their foothold, the scale um will sort of drop back and, and eventually it'll just be like a another tire company or a national donut chain advertising. Um, it'll just sort of be part of the regular rhythm of the sports viewing experience. But because again, it's new in Canada, um, you know, some of these same folks think it could be another year, year and a half before we start to see that slowdown. Mm, great. If this is in your article again in the stories to look for in 2024, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be pretty happy. <laughs> but, uh, look, it's, it's it's I guess I probably expected that the number of commercials would be the way that it is. It's the like in game, like in between whistles and, and in the intermissions, we have a new segment and we're using our personalities to give you their picks. And it's, it's sports radio, too. Right. It's, yeah. it's in sports radio. There's there's a you know, TSN 1050 has a whole afternoon show dedicated to, to sports betting. It's it's in the segments we listen to and establish sports radio uh, programs, right? Like even in even in casual banter on the morning show, they're talking about the morning lines or you know who hit on uh, who covered, who didn't. Yeah. Um, these things have been part of it for a while. I know you know when when the fan five ninety, uh, you know, was still CJCL fourteen thirty. The fan um, they had you know Sunday morning shows sponsored by you know betting house, but those were outliers, and now it's just sort of been adopted as, as a common language in in every thread of every reach of, of, of certainly electronic sports media. 
Uh, back in spring of 2022, I think, was when we started to hear rumors start to swirl that the PWHPA was getting close to a deal with somebody to to finally get their own league uh, up and running. Uh, the target dates that at that point I recall hearing were kind of early 2023, maybe January, February. And as we've moved through the year, it's remained fairly quiet. And I, I, I still assume this thing is coming and is going to happen, but we haven't heard a whole lot more about timelines or, or cities that they're, these teams are going to be in. Um, this league was on in your article about uh, one of the stories to watch for in 2023. Are you concerned? Are there alarm bells going off that this thing has remained or it's been kind of quiet around this thing for the last little while? How should we view uh, this upcoming league? Yeah, I mean, my colleague Haley Salvian has done a lot of reporting on this. It's it's her field of specialty, and and the folks that she's spoken to, um, you know, said that yeah, at first the goal was to get it, you know, maybe even as early as you know Q one, Q two, twenty twenty three. But now that you know the goal is firmly to start, you know, when hockey season begins in in the fall of twenty twenty three. In terms of you know the volume and and what we're hearing or not hearing. Um, I sometimes it's better uh, when they keep it quiet. Um, certainly, we love to have things out in the open sure. and have things to talk about in sports media. But um, from a business perspective, just you know, speaking through personal experience, like I, you know, I spent a lot of years covering the Canadian Football League, and you know, when their business became public and people started airing concerns about you know business practices that happened inside the Board of Governors. Um, that was never a good yeah. thing for the CFL, right? Like, you know, who was going to get the the Ottawa Renegades? Who was going to get, you know, uh, we heard a lot about, you know, Horn Chen and the ownership and the Gleibermans yes. and all of those things. So whenever that got made public, you knew bad things generally were going to happen if you were a football fan in Ottawa. And I think that, you know, when the Red Blacks were on their way back with the ownership group that, that they were you know, assembling, that it was a little bit quieter. And yeah. I think, you know, you can just, again, as that one micro example, that tended to turn out just a little bit better than its two predecessors. It's true. Maybe a little less chaos on the surface means things are just kind of chugging away as they should underneath. And uh, do you mm-hmm. do you envision... Um, you know, they're, they're obviously going to be looking for a, a TV deal. Both uh, TSN and Sportsnet have dabbled with, uh, the, you know, formerly the Canadian Women's Hockey League and the PWHPA. Do you expect this to kind of be split across a couple networks? Do you think someone will be looking for like a, just sort of a game of the week package? What would your expectation be of what kind of television deal this thing could be looking at as it gets started? Yeah, I mean, I really wish I had a better exa- uh, better idea. I, the fact of the matter is I have no idea, but it is split across even three. So CBC has also picked up and, and done online streams of yeah. some uh, some events as well. Um, I mean, it makes you can make a case that it makes sense for any one of those three networks. I mean, certainly the CBC's mandate um, and the CBC's connection, the fact that it has the next several Olympic cycles as well. Uh, there's a tie-in there. It, you know, CBC has its free streaming platform on Gem um, that could make every game theoretically available uh, without impeding on any of its linear channels. Um, TSN, of course, has you know its five channels, and Sportsnet has however many dozen it seems to carry these days. Um, so you know, with with the alignments and with the various agreements, you could see it fitting on any one of the three, or you know, some kind of split. 
across all three. Um, you know, it also could depend on the corporate partners that are involved in backing and sponsoring um, the new league whenever it does launch. That you know, if these sponsors have a, a significant tie-in. You know, say it would be a, a Scotiabank. Um, Scotiabank obviously has a big tie-in with grassroots hockey um, across Canada, sponsoring minor hockey teams. It also has um, a relationship with Rogers. So does that then create more of a pathway to Sportsnet? I don't know. Maybe, maybe you know, if, if there's a, another involvement with another organization that has a closer tie to TSN, maybe it makes more sense to place things there. Um, but you could, you know, I mean, make a case that it could land on one or land on all three. And I think, I mean, you take a look at, you know, the audiences that women's hockey has driven through, um, you know, the CBC, um, just even in the middle of the night in Eastern time uh, for the, the Canada-U.S. gold medal game. Yeah. Um, you know, there is a significant audience there. Um, and I think that, you know, getting the right deal uh, would dovetail with, you know, the long-term prospects for success in this league. Just lastly on this, do you, would it, it seems like, and, and it doesn't necessarily mean that any of these networks would want to go along with this, but would it not be the best thing for the league to try and be on multiple, maybe a CBC kind of uh, over-the-air channel that reaches just about everybody in the country and then maybe a, a cable network or a sports network could, to try and, you know, the people who just happen to leave their TV on that channel when they turn it on the next day, it, hey, look, there's the whatever this new league is going to be called, like, it would seem like there would be some benefit to being in as many places as you could be. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, that's why I mentioned CBC Gem, right? That, yeah. That's the free the free streaming app. So um, you want to, yes, getting something over the air uh, to the folks who still have um, <laughs> you know, television. I, I'm one of them. I still have cable. Um, but yeah, I mean, CBC is available in every Canadian home. Um, but to capture, you know, the younger folks um you know being able to stream something on your phone with an app that i mean is is proven and is established and is also free um you know on jam i think would would also make a lot of sense that i mean if you've watched the olympics and i watch a ton of the olympics like jam is a godsend um during the olympics because you can watch literally anything you want and they can stash they have a, a limitless um opportunity uh for for inventory right whereas um you know tsn and sportsnet both have their own apps but um obviously there are restrictions because those are private companies that require you to pay sure. so yeah i mean that would make sense as well and that's what you know that's what we've seen with some of the the dream gap tour um, is that some of those still live on Gem and have been streamed and, and are available then for free in their entirety on YouTube as well. Uh, back in the fall here in the nation's capital, everyone was all abuzz over uh, Ryan Reynolds possibly being interested and it turned out confirmed to be interested in owning a piece of the uh, the Ottawa Senators. Uh, it did provide a wonderful sound clip where we all got to see Gary Bettman use the phrase sugar mommy and sugar daddy in the press conference. Uh, not sure I had ever expected to see that, but... Sugar mommy or sugar daddy. Uh, it's, it's since sort of been reported that the league is going to encourage whoever the successful bidder is on however many groups are, are looking at this team to include Ryan Reynolds. Um you know, what kind of difference might that make for not just the NHL, but frankly, one of its smaller markets to suddenly have this giant media star involved in, in their league? Yeah, I think, you know, again, an imperfect parallel, but um, the Raptors, 
several years ago when Tim Laiwiki was, you know, president and CEO um, of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, the Raptors created um, a direct business relationship with Drake. Right. To be their, I think the title is global ambassador. And, you know, some folks rolled their eyes and some folks probably still continue to roll their eyes. But the fact of the matter is, you know, having having somebody with that much cachet out there, you know, carrying the flag of your franchise, um, certainly, you know, within you know, within reason. I mean, there's also risk, right? That, sure. you know, if, if something were uncovered or, you know, you yeah, know, you're one screw up away from. Yeah. Right. right. So, but I mean, Drake is, um, undeniably a global star and also a Raptors fan and, and having them out there sort of again with that banner, I think, you know, outside of Toronto, outside of Canada has helped, you know, elevate what, the Raptors brand is um, the Toronto, and this this was also probably inevitable as as Toronto matured and grew as an NBA market. Um, helped make Toronto and Canada seem like maybe a bit less of a hinterland sure. when it came to the global basketball stage, right? So I think that helped. Um, so yeah, like it's not going to make the Ottawa Senators right up there with the New York Rangers in terms of like playing on Broadway and, and, you know, in a global consciousness. But um, again, as you mentioned, for, for one of the league's sort of smaller markets, um, it can't really hurt. I mean, take a look at, you know, welcome to Wrexham, um, the story of, of, you know, Ryan Reynolds and his partner buying into a, a storied, but struggling Welsh football team, soccer team. Um, and, you know, just by, having that series run on FX, um, their merchandise sales, their web traffic uh, went up by factors of, you know, dozens of percentage points. Right. Um, and that was almost overnight. That was within six months, I think, of that show going online compared to, you know, uh, the fiscal year previous. Then the numbers were staggering. So, you know, having Ryan Reynolds, uh, a celebrity with with broad appeal, um, and certainly with cachet outside Canada, um, you know, the potential there, um, even if he was, you know, just a, a fractional owner of the franchise, um, I think would be significant for the Senators, if not the NHL as a whole, which, again, we sometimes forget up here that, you know, in a lot of markets, the NHL is, you know, number four, number five, number yeah. six in terms of what people care about. Yeah, I think you mentioned in your piece there that the Senators have somewhere in the neighborhood of 650,000 Twitter followers. Ryan Reynolds has 20 million. So a couple of... And that's just one platform, right? Right. Twitter is not real life, as I constantly have to remind myself. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, that kind of presence, that kind of scope would be huge for the National Hockey League, uh, just in terms of, you know, when was the last time, if ever, that the Ottawa Senators were mentioned on The Tonight Show like they were when Ryan Reynolds was on there back in, in November, so... Uh, huge opportunities there for uh, for the league and for the team. Uh, the last two stories here in your piece, I have kind of linked together because they sort of scream out to me as possibly the two uh, telecoms cheaping out here a little bit. But um, <laughs> let's start with the Jays. And they announced in uh, back in the fall that uh, Pat Tabler would not be returning this year. Uh, they framed it as sort of a mutual parting of the ways. It doesn't sound like Pat saw it quite the same way, but that's mainly coming through an interview Buck Martinez did on the Bob McCowan podcast. Do you think it, it doesn't sound like there are any big hires coming to replace him, but they do have a lot of personalities already in house. Joe Siddle is a guy who has filled in from time to time that most fans seem to really enjoy. 
Is this, in your opinion, a cost-cutting move or just a turning of the page to a new uh, a new face in that spot? Uh, how did you view this move? Because it's a pretty big one. Pat Tyler's been around a long time for Jays fans. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it sort of dovetails. If you want to go with the cost-cutting angle, it also dovetails with you know how the company's been approaching its radio rights. Yeah. Um, that you know Ben Wagner up until I think late last season was was calling games by himself, road games by himself from a sound booth in Toronto. So if the, the Jays were in Seattle, uh, their radio voice was, you know, in the dark yeah. in one Mount Pleasant in midtown Toronto, uh, calling games off, you know, various television screens that, you know, heading into the pandemic, um, you know, they were, the story was that they were auditioning analysts um, who would sit beside Ben yeah. for those games. And, and that analyst hasn't been hired. In fact, they've, they've sort of, as you mentioned, rotated through a bunch of voices from Sportsnet for home games um, to sit with Ben, which is a really tough thing to do that, especially in baseball, where you have so much airtime to fill that you know, if he's not in Seattle, say they go on a, a, what, a, a Seattle, Los Angeles, you know, tour, sure. um, a road trip, like he could be away from them for, for the better part of two weeks. So, you know, especially in radio where it relies so much on, on storytelling to not have access to those players at batting practice or, you know, pre or post game, um, I, I think really makes that job a lot more difficult. So, Taken in that context, yeah, I think you can probably point to this as being a cost-cutting measure. But also, um, yeah, I, I don't think there's really any looking past the idea that you know the long-term, the long-term vision here might be a Siddle Shulman television booth um, moving forward. I know Buck Martinez, um, you know, late in the season spoke with Simon Haupt from the Globe and Mail, saying that at the time he wasn't sure. If this was going to be his last season, he thought that he might be leaning towards retirement. But he, again, on the Bob McCallum podcast, um, he suggested that he was very close on on returning and was very close on, on signing a new contract. So um, how many games he might work, how that might be split uh, still remains to be seen. But, but yeah, um, it could be a combination of maybe wanting to get Siddle into the booth on more of a full-time basis while also reducing costs, which is something, you know, as you mentioned, uh, both telecommunications companies seem eager to do with their sports media divisions. Yeah, it's there seems to be a ton of flux here as well, because I think when Dan Schulman originally came home, he was not envisioning being the full-time guy. And I think he's sort of made it clear in other interviews and, and on Twitter that he will now you know, probably handle the overwhelming majority of the home games and some road games. So now you're not even, you know, if you're cutting Buck Martinez back as well, you, it's not just a new color guy. You need someone to in play-by-play. I know Matt Devlin has filled in pretty well, actually, a few different times. Uh, but there's a ton of turnover coming in the way, you know, the this isn't even an MLSE thing. This is Rogers' baby, right? This, As far as their sports property and their TV network, this is their whole summer. And I don't know if I ever remember a time where there's been so much of how this team is going to be covered up in the air all at once. Well, even even the ancillary coverage, you know, Stephen Brunt was bought out of his contract, right? right and and yeah. he's done, and he would go down to spring training. Uh, he would, you know, do do deep features on players that they could, you know, um, repurpose over several of their platforms. Um, and, and certainly, you know, talk about the Blue Jays on, you know, Sportsnet 590, the fan, and, and mm-hmm. that is no longer there either. So, yeah, I mean, 
the thing that we sometimes take for granted is that in, in the scope of Major League Baseball on a team-by-team television audience size, the Blue Jays are massive yep. because they do have that national reach, an uncontested national reach. Like their, their numbers are significant. And certainly for Sportsnet, if not Rogers, because, you know, the media division is still kind of a rounding error in terms of, you know, their overall sales yes. and, and where they place um, their emphasis. Um, yeah, it's it's significant. So to see the cost cutting here is is a bit of a head scratcher because the Blue Jays are such a significant property for Sportsnet. Well, especially right now, the team on the rise in this contention window. Like this is not a time to be pulling back. I wouldn't think. But uh, what the hell do I know? I'm, I'm as you said, I'm not the guy who does those uh, rounding. Uh, I do make a lot of rounding errors, but I'm not the guy responsible for doing them for Rogers. So, um, <laughs> last one here, then, and it, it's kind of in that that same area is the Toronto Maple Leafs, the uh, by far the biggest sports property in Canada at this point. Uh, still not sending their play-by-play team on the road for radio, and I had it in my head you had um, that they were sent to Tampa during the playoffs, but uh, you had said in your piece that they weren't. I went back and you no, know, sure enough, they weren't. Uh, I guess I was thinking of of Ben Wagner, who did travel for the Blue Jays later in the season and into the, yeah. the didn't go on the road after their two game playoff run. With the, <laughs> but uh, is this like to me? It's almost a. I, I'm sure Rogers and Bell aren't going to be shamed into anything, but it's, it's almost embarrassing for a team like the Leafs to be one of the only teams in the league not sending their radio team on the road at this point. It's 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 really odd. I mean, the biggest NHL team in Canada in terms of, of revenue and just, you know, market cap, basically, and and the most populous city in the country. And yeah, they're calling, um, they alternate. So they, they call road games from, you know, one Mount Pleasant, Sportsnet, and then they go up to, if it's a TSN game, to Channel 9 Court uh, in Scarborough, and they'll call them from there. So yeah, I mean, I think last year, um, if the Leafs had made it, out of the first round, um, which would have been their first first you know their first series win since two thousand four, I, I think there is a discussion that that maybe the the radio would would go on the road, but it was never confirmed, and and it hasn't been confirmed that should the Leafs win again this year, um, you know that that they'd go on the road, and it's just again a sign of the times. It's something the pandemic sort of showed that, you know, ESPN called, you know, entire football schedules from, you know, people's basements, that the technology is there, um, not without wrinkles, right. um, you know, especially because, you know, for radio, they're beholden to uh, feeds from out of market. And if there's technical glitches or if there's delays or, you know, if there was one uh, game, I think it was in Florida last season where um, for a while, for whatever reason, they only had access to sort of the, the broad cam. So the, the camera that was way up in the rafters where you're looking down and everybody <laughs> looks like it's a bunch, like 10 ants running around yeah. on the ice and they had no idea what was going on. And then it switched to an ISO cam on like, you know, Alex Barkoff. Um, <laughs> so they had no idea what was going on. And then it briefly switched to a soccer game. Oh, that's helpful. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, on top of the fact that even if all the cameras are working, they still might not know what's happening behind the play. Um, they might not know who's coming on or who's hopping um, or what's going on on the bench or if somebody's going down the tunnel. Um, all of these things that you need to help describe the game to a radio audience, um, they, they're lacking. So, um, you know, what it suggests is that, you know, both companies don't really believe there's that kind of value in the existing radio audience as it stands, or 
um, that it doesn't matter, that the radio audience um, wouldn't really notice, which, again, uh, I've listened because I'm in the car quite a bit driving around those times. Um, it can be tough unless they identify sometimes that they're in a booth um, to not know that they're they're calling the game from Toronto rather than Asheville or Minnesota or wherever. Sure. Yeah, I've heard a mistake, or two, and, and it's not even fair to call it a mistake, but just where clearly they're not getting what they need, right? Or the, some, the, the camera's not where they needed it to be. The, the, there's the game, they, they, like the, and a recent example would be, you know, the game in New Jersey where, you know, a net full of goals were waved off um, and they right. didn't know because the cameras would be showing the, the reaction on the bench rather than maybe what the officials are doing, right? Like right. Um, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't get the announcement until it's replayed or explained, you know, on television. And again, they're looking at screens without audio, so they're not even getting the benefit necessarily of um, what the television broadcast is saying. Do you suppose it would be different if these two entities didn't own the team together like right now there's no reason for one to push against the other we have control of this thing we're not competing over it whereas if you were going to be bidding for rights at some point and you needed to you know um to show a little more or you wanted to show that you were putting on a better product than your your competitor maybe you'd be forced to do something or is there just so little value left in radio that this this is basically how it was always going to go it's a really interesting conversation. I wish I knew the answer. Um, I, I know that I'm, you know, uh, in Ottawa again, we're talking about smaller market. I do believe that that radio team does travel. Um, yeah, they I have the benefit yeah. of traveling on the team charter, so there's no cost yeah. to the radio station or certainly. Well, there's still, cost. there's still, there'd still be, yeah, there'd still be the hotel yes. and the per diem for the meals. Um, so there is still that cost, but yeah, I, I you do look at it, and I, I don't think, by the way, I don't think that that happened without. You know, the, the program director uh, at the local TSN station there really going to bat for those voices to go on the road sure because does. I do yes, think that, that <laughs> I do believe that that program director yeah went to say this is very important for us and our brand um, but yeah I mean you certainly can't overlook the fact that MLSE is owned by Rogers and Dell Media and that there are certain I guess cost synergies if that's a term that we can use uh, if that's a term that exists I'm not sure <laughs> <laughs> but um, that that would certainly be something that it's tough to overlook in this situation. Yeah, it's it's. But again, it's, Rogers by itself fully let their baseball radio guy sit at home too. True, but again, no competition. They know they're never going to sell those rights to yeah. TSN. So yeah, no, yeah, chorus isn't going to come up and scoop right. the Blue Jays radio rights away. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's an interesting debate, and and so much of it all seems to be and as most of the world is just around the dollar, right? What uh, what makes money and what doesn't? It's just. It's fascinating to to me to see the Leafs cheaping out at, when they are free to spend on so many other things. Uh, I guess it's it's taking from one pocket and putting it in the other when it's all coming from uh, coming from the same place. Um, Sean, I appreciate you doing this. It was a fascinating article to me as a nerd in in sports media. Right <laughs> to see these are the things worth keeping an eye on this year. Uh, you do a lot of great work like that. I would encourage people who aren't necessarily subscribed to the Athletic yet to uh, to do so. We'll put a uh, uh, links in the show notes. Is is there one in spe- uh, in particular I should post that gets you credit for the sign up? Anything like that we need to know? Or? <laughs> uh, no, I, I think any 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 link would be would be just fine and, and deeply appreciated. Perfect. Well, I thank you so much for for making the time for me. I know I uh, I come knocking a couple times a year to ask your opinion on a bunch of this stuff as it presents itself. I always appreciate it when you you jump on with us. And I'm always happy to uh, to get your email. And thank you very much for having me on. 
All right. Our thanks to Sean Fitzgerald, national senior writer from The Athletic, for making the time for us. Sean always picks up the phone when we come calling. We love him for that and appreciate it. Like I said, we'll put links to all his stuff. They're in the show notes at tallcanaudio.com or wherever you're hearing us right now. Uh, They're in your podcast app. You'll be able to click right through, check it out, sign up for The Athletic if you haven't done so yet. You can check out all uh, all of Sean's work. That's it for today. We won't drag this out any further. Lots more to come here in the coming days, so we hope you'll stick around. We hope you'll subscribe to the podcast. Like I said, make sure you're following along on social media at Tall Can Audio. Thank you all so much for listening to episode 1053 of TCA. My name is Matt Robinson, and we'll see you all next time. That's it. Not work under these conditions. If anybody wants me, I'll be downstairs at McDougal. Call the weekend guy, I don't care.